Welcome to the Energetics Exchange podcast, conversations with energy and climate experts. Please note that the information and commentary in this podcast is of a general nature only and does not take into account the objectives, financial situation or needs of any particular individual or business. Listeners should not rely upon the content in this podcast without first seeking advice from a professional. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Energetics podcast series. I'm Gillen Plateau, manager at Energetics and a member of Energetics Climate Risk Advisory Team. Today, I'm leading the second in Energetics podcast series discussing the guidance of the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, or TCFD. But first, I'd like to start this podcast by acknowledging and paying respect to all First Nations people as the traditional owners of the lands on which we meet today. Here in Perth, I acknowledge the Noongar Wajak people, traditional custodians of this land. We acknowledge the strength of their continuing culture and offer our respects to elders past and present. Joining me are my colleagues, Olivia Kemba, Principal Consultant, who is in our Sydney office, and Robin Ashton, Senior Manager, who is based in Brisbane. Both Olivia and Robin have provided advice to Energetics clients on the application of the TCFD. Today, they'll share their thoughts and insights on the second pillar of the TCFD strategy. Hi, Olivia. Hi, Robin. Hi, Gillian. I'll speak on behalf of the Sydney office and acknowledging the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. Hi, Gillian. As I'm based in Brisbane, I'd like to uh, pay respects to the Mianji people and recognise the country north and south of the Brisbane River as the home of both the Turbul and Jagera nations. So if we dive straight in, um, the strategy core element is made up of three deceptively short recommendations, but really I think it's quite complex in nature and underpins all of the other uh, recommendations. And so if we take a a step back, um, the strategy recommendations involve uh, firstly to describe the climate-related risks and opportunities to the business in question over uh, three timeframes, the short, medium and long term. Uh, Secondly, articulating the impact of these risks and opportunities on business strategy and financial planning. And thirdly, exploring the resilience of the company's current strategy under multiple climate scenarios, ideally including a two-degree world. So there's a lot to unpack (laughs) in those three recommendations. So Olivia, if we could start with you, what would you say is the purpose of this uh, core element? And conversely, what is it not about? So I think what it's not about is... uh, doing scenario analysis, uh, which tends to be the, 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 the most complicated and interesting part of the exercise in a way, but it's also not actually the real point of the strategy recommendations. Um, the objective of the strategy pillar is really for the company to demonstrate that it has an understanding of climate risks and their strategic significance and that the company's strategy going forward has embedded that understanding. Another thing that the strategy recommendation isn't is just disclosing the results the results of your scenario analysis. Um, although the TCFD is a sort of disclosure framework, um, the objective is to show how you've embedded climate risks into decision-making processes. And so the users of TCFD disclosures, when they rank the bits that they most value, strategy recommendations or elements of the strategy recommendations make up three of the top 10 most useful parts of TCFD reporting. And uh, the very most top one of those is how climate-related issues have affected business and strategy. So answering that question is really important to readers of your Uh, corporate climate disclosure, uh, it's also a really hard question to answer. And this has been quite a steep learning curve for companies 
the latest TCFD status report shows that um, companies are having a pretty decent crack at that first recommendation, describing their climate-related risks and opportunities. They're struggling a bit more with the second one, which is about the impact of those on their strategy and planning. And very few are actually reporting on the resilience of their strategy. Um, I think it was about 100 out of 1,700 disclosures that the TCFD uh, reviewed got that far. But we're seeing that this is what uh, users of TCFD disclosures are most interested in. Um, when we're seeing this coming through in the uh, moves by financial regulators and central banks to get uh, parts of the finance system to engage in scenario analysis so that their, their resilience can actually be understood. And we're seeing it also in initiatives like the Climate Action 100 Plus, the um, institutional investor effort, which has got some very, very strategy-focused benchmark criteria. So Climate Action 100 Plus is looking for things like, um, is your capital allocation aligned with the Paris Agreement? Um, does your scenario planning include a 1.5 degree scenario? So the, the TCFD strategy recommendations and the, the parts within that are of great and I think increasing interest and so companies really need to get to grips with what's involved in doing a good, um, good doing a good job on this part of the TCFD. Thanks. So that says there seems to be a gap between uh, what the investors are looking for and what companies are managing to to achieve because of the complexity of those recommendations. So if we focus on the first recommendation, which aims to build a solid foundation really for the rest of the strategy recommendations, um, and it's all about uh, starting with a robust risk identification process. So um, the TCFD recommendations describe both physical and transition risks. So before we dive a bit deeper, um, Robin, could you explain a little bit about physical risks? And then, Olivia, I'll hand over to you for transition. Sure. So physical climate risks stem from either discrete events, such as a tropical cyclone or bushfire, which are described as acute all they're chronic in nature, incrementally worsening over time. And we see this in rising average annual temperatures and disrupted rainfall patterns. A business often won't have sea level rise or extreme rainfall noted on their risk register. Instead, the focus will be on the impact of these climate hazards, such as rising insurance costs, capital expenditure, or increasingly stringent OHS standards to ensure employee safety. Great, thank you. Um, Olivia? Transition risks are a little different because um, they are associated with the efforts being made across the economy to decarbonize. And so transition risks can present up and down your value chain depending on how um, suppliers and customers are viewing that decarbonization task. And they can be very influenced by um, technological progress and uh, political and policy de uh, developments, which was where I think initially the focus has been in considering transition. It's generally been what is the policy or what is the carbon price that might force change? What we're seeing now is that um, transition risks are presenting you know, particularly, say, from the in, an investor community, in the even in the absence of policy. So we're talking about a really broad uh, range of risks here, I think. 
And um, I've found in practice that some businesses actually consider climate change as purely one single environmental risk amongst their risk register. Um, and I think you've really highlighted how wide ranging the causes and the impacts of uh, of these risks can be beyond that of the environment. So to me, there, there seems to be value in splitting this, this monster risk down into more discrete and manageable risks, um, particularly to tease apart the potential impacts and also prioritising the mitigation activities. So Robin, would you like to comment on um, who you need buy-in and input from within the business to get uh, the best outcome when identifying risks and impacts to a specific business? Absolutely. The risk identification process can be a real eye-opener for many within an organisation. Um, and you really need a collaborative approach because essentially you want to expose each level of a business to the learnings of and the challenges facing their colleagues. Um, many companies already have processes for identifying and managing risks, but the extent to which these systems can accommodate climate risk varies a lot. And we find that thinking through climate risk exposure with a business can be a resilience building exercise in its own right. For the sustainability and environmental teams who often have ownership of TCFD, it's critical that they secure a buy-in from all levels of a business, including operations team, finance, strategy, and the C-suite. This can be quite the challenge, and the focus should always fall on the incredible value the process can bring. The types of insight you glean from the risk assessment and scenario analysis process can range from informing new design standards to identifying adaptation pathways. These not only mitigate a particular risk, but can open up huge opportunities for diversification and growth. If you're able to demonstrate early these benefits and how they can positively impact each area of a business, most stakeholders get on board quite quickly. And I think that's a really useful piece, you know, having everyone on board before you try to uh, look into what it means for your business in terms of impacts, but then also how it might influence your strategy. So we might move on to the second uh, strategy recommendation, which is looking at exactly that, disclosing the impacts to a business uh, strategy and financial planning as well. Um, so the question would be, what does best practice disclosure actually look like? Um, Olivia, have you seen anyone actually do this well? This is really hard for companies to do well. I'm not going to sort of name names, but I'll talk a little bit about some of the, uh, I think some of the elements that some companies do do very well. What we find is that sort of common uh, standard market practice with regard to this second strategy recommendation is basically to sort of put forward some initiatives as responses to climate risks without really presenting them in a context that allows the reader to work out whether, whether those initiatives are fit for purpose, how significant they really are, how much of a um, maybe change from BAU they actually represent. Um, but what you can, what good companies are doing or what good disclosures are going to show are um, impacts on strategy and financial planning sort of in two strands. So one of those strands is, well, what is their decarbonisation strategy? Is it uh, a, a net zero target sort of untethered from a plan to achieve it or a very short term percentage target that doesn't seem to be aligned with, uh, say, Paris Agreement consistent goals, in which case what you've got there is uh, an aspiration without a plan. But if you've got a decarbonisation strategy that actually says, here's where we know we need to get to, here's how we're going to get there, here are some milestones along the way that we know we need to meet and here are some decision points. Um, around how we're going to do that, then there's more evidence that that company is actually incorporating 
its climate risks into its into its planning, into its capital allocation. Um, and then another way of looking at it is also, well, what's, what is their broader corporate strategy? Um, how is their investment going to account for climate risks over the long term, aside aside from decarbonisation? Are they using uh, an internal carbon price? Are they considering what their products will actually be in 30 years' time and the ways in which those might be different in a, um, in a different climate future? So I think we're really talking about walking the talk, right? And then and then potentially also disclosing the outcomes of that process. Thank you. That's really insightful. So if we get um, if we dive into now scenario analysis, so the third uh, recommendation, um, Olivia, we'll stay with you on this. What is scenario analysis, and how does it differ from a forecast? So I think companies are very used to forecasts of maybe, you know, business as usual over, say, a one to five year time frame. And that's not what we're usually talking about with scenario analysis, which tends to look out potentially out to 2050, um, sometimes a little bit shorter, sometimes even longer. But really, the intention is to consider very different but plausible climate futures. Um, This is an exercise where you as a company want to think, what are the ways that uh, a really challenging decarbonisation pathway for the world might affect us? Or, in what, or what are the ways in which a really challenging um, physical climate, uh, climate impacts pathway might affect us? And what do we need to know about that? And what are we going to do about it? So it's, it's, it's essentially a structured imaginative exercise that if you have the data and resources um, to take to the next level where you actually dive into the financial implications of that becomes quite a massive undertaking. But at a very sort of step one level is about thinking through, say, two to three to four different climate worlds and how the company might be affected by the sorts of drivers that are creating climate risk in each of those worlds. So are you saying that it really is about um, exploring the level of uncertainty in the future and helping you to navigate either those those options or, or understand the the range of possible futures that you're exposed to. Absolutely. And I mean, there's there's the uncertainty in terms of things that might only eventuate in one of those climate futures. And then sometimes you find that actually irrespective of um, which, which climate world you're looking in, there are some things that are probably going to happen anyway. So this is Robin's territory on the physical side. There's there's a lot of stuff that's baked in that it doesn't matter which decarbonisation pathway we're on for the next 20, 30 years. We're going to be dealing with uh, the physical impacts of climate change anyway. Yeah, so then it's knowing uh, which which impacts you need to be ready for regardless and then which ones you might want to potentially wait and see or might be, you might be better off preparing for either way. Um, so it's it really is quite a, a difficult exercise, I think, to get your head around um, to to visualize the the future that far ahead, but also to um, to translate that to actions now or soon to prepare for that future. Um, so I think it, it's definitely something that we've seen companies uh, either attempt, but not fully or robustly, or even not having tackled yet. And so, uh, Robin, from the physical point of view, can you comment on the difficulty level um, of this exercise? I can, and the short answer is it's hard. Um, and it's hard for, well, going back to Olivia's point in a previous question, it comes down to if you have the data. Um, because scenario analysis requires a bespoke approach. We're combining relevant business data with current and 
future climate data. Um, and depending on the risks identified, achieving harmony between those two data sets to deliver really quite robust and meaningful outcomes can be quite the challenge. In terms of business data, we often find that there's a wealth of information, um, but it doesn't quite bridge the gap between cause and effect. So an example might be where we have extensive maintenance or work order data, which notes that a repair on an asset took place, but it doesn't tell us what caused the initial failure in the first place. And that means that we, we find it quite difficult to link that, that outcome um, to the underlying climate hazard. Additionally, we find that a lot of the um, impact information that businesses have is backwards facing. So they might only realize that they have a single point of failure because it failed at some point in the past and that's the only reason they're aware of it. Um, to leverage the real value of scenario analysis, we need to take a more future-facing approach and ask those what-if questions. And this is where the modeling of shock events or doing things like war games is really useful. On the climate side, well, it has its own cha on challenges. Our understanding of climate science in terms of the drivers, current and future models and projections, it's evolving on almost a daily basis. And new data sets are becoming available, which means that as consultants, we're having to design and redesign our assessment methodologies to reflect these developments. We also have to be careful about managing expectations. We can't predict when or where a bushfire might start, how intensely it might burn, or how far it'll spread. And this lack of certainty can be really challenging for businesses, particularly those stakeholders who want a really solid answer around potential financial impacts. And so it's kind of critically important that we as consultants, but also businesses are upfront about the limitations of the analysis um, and that they in disclose fully the methodology and assumptions that sit behind all the numbers that we come up with. We often don't see this um, as businesses are nervous about disclosing financial impacts, which may be uncertain, but it's actually a great way of demonstrating trans transparency and building stakeholder trust. Thanks, Robin. And you've mentioned the uh, shock events and war games in there. Um, I think they're a good way to fill some of those gaps in the climate data. Um, to so, so what would you say is the the purpose of those events? Is it to help um, sort of visualize what could happen and explore um, the possibilities where where there's there are gaps? Absolutely, and it, it's. It's about developing a more intimate understanding of your business, of saying, okay, if I knock over an asset in location A, what what is the domino effect there? Um, because that can be really eye-opening to potential risks that they hadn't really considered. And we're not just talking financial impacts here. This could be around the safety of, of your employees or even members of the public. And so I think overall, you've really captured how uh, how difficult this process can be um, and how you have to be really cautious about how you navigate it as well. So that is, um, it, it's probably important to, to tackle it, but be very aware and transparent about uh, the limitations around the data, the limitations around uh, the insights drawn so that you can um, guide your strategy, but also what investors might um, understand from what you're disclosing in the way that is that is robust and, and a complete uh, picture. So um, I suppose with all this in mind about how difficult it is to to translate 
navigate, understand the data, interpret it, etc. Uh, it's no real surprise that that is an area that we we commonly get asked for for help um, on. And so, um, Olivia, how would you help clients to navigate this this difficult sort of um, pathway? And if I can actually play devil's advocate here for a minute, if it's really hard to do, what's the point in even doing it in doing scenario analysis? I've got two answers to that. Uh, one is companies are going to have to do this anyway. So technically the TCFD is a voluntary initiative, but we're seeing now that key stakeholders, whether those are investors, financial regulators, um, some governments have now made it mandatory. And so the expectation is is solidifying that at some point you as a company are going to have to tackle this part of the recommendations. You're going to have to do the scenario analysis. And so the way to do it is basically slowly, steadily, and in lots of little bits. So really understanding um, where you're starting from, how, what your what the level of um, sort of climate literacy is in the business and how, how much um, you as an organization can bite off in one chunk is a good way of making sure that you don't create an over-difficult exercise for yourself, but you, you can develop a, an approach to scenario analysis. And it might be that you... Um, you look at one part of your business, you look at a relatively short time frame, maybe you pick a, a few scenarios which are not too complicated. And then you, you know, you kind of develop the muscle memory as each time you do this and you push a bit further and you get a bit better and you can go a bit deeper. And usually each step is going to tell you something useful. And so that also can help you um, build that buy-in that you need to keep going and make more progress. So even if it's a, a small, discrete, uh, qualitative exercise, that can help set you up to do something bigger and more complicated in the future, as long as you're um, bringing your internal stakeholders on board um, and you're demonstrating each time that this is actually providing something useful, as opposed to just being a disclosure tick a box exercise. I think um, definitely starting with that that qualitative view and then um, diving into to different different aspects in more detail um, sounds like the way to go. And I think that's probably my takeaway message for today is really to take a, an iterative approach to to this process. Um, so starting with a really solid foundation of uh, risk identification um, because it really builds the the rest of the picture, um, and then uh, understanding what what types of scenarios might actually be useful to to explore um, and to start to, to break that down into smaller chunks. Um, I'm keen to hear what, what your takeaway messages would be for, from today's discussion. So starting with you, Olivia. I think the most important thing to do is put in the effort right at the beginning of the process to um, think of this as, the long, as a long game. The most useful thing that you can do if you're embarking on any of these strategy recommendations is build an understanding of exactly what climate risks actually are within the business because that will allow you to um, have a foundation where you can like progress your analysis and get that strategic insight at whatever level at each step that you take thereafter. Uh, what we've found that some companies think of climate risk as, you know, is there going to be a carbon price? And we've got this experience in Australia where we had a carbon price and it went away again. And so there's a sort of historical um, memory that that is what climate risk is. But as we've discussed, climate risks are much broader, much uh, deeper, can occur throughout the value chain. It's a lot more complicated than that. And so sometimes part of what you're doing at the beginning 
is taking people right back to the beginning to actually understand what the climate science is, how the world is changing, how a lot of different strands of the economy are changing around climate and bringing all those, uh, the sort of the, that broader story into what then can become eventually a very uh, bespoke, company-specific, data-driven exercise. Thanks, Olivia. Plenty of insights to take away there. Uh, Robin, what are your last thoughts? Definitely take a collaborative approach. Um, it's imperative that you get that buy-in from all areas of a business because their insights can really drive real value from this process. Be aware of the limitations of the data and be open about them because ultimately that transparency really helps build trust with your key external stakeholders. Thank you so much. Um, thank you both for joining us today uh, for what was a very broad uh, topic of the strategy recommendations under the TCFD framework. Um, there's so much more that we could discuss uh, on this topic. We've only really touched the tip of the iceberg. Um, so if anyone listening has any comments or questions relating to our discussion today, uh, please feel free to contact us through uh, the website or through uh, your Energetics account man manager if you're already working with us. Either way, um, please stay tuned for the next instalment of our TCFD series, which will focus on the third um, core element of the TCFD risk management. Thank you very much. Energetics Exchange Podcast, conversations with energy and climate experts.